Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. So uh, tonight we're wrapping up our series we've been in called Anchored. And i got to be honest with y'all, I'm most excited about tonight. I really feel that um, our lives have the potential to change tonight. Anytime we come in the setting uh, of this, your life has the potential to change. And uh, we come with the attitude of expectancy. We come with the attitude that the Bible is alive. How many of you know that the Bible is alive? It's active. It's powerful. And it uh, has the ability to change our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Skip down to verse 13, our theme verse of this series. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You, Father, that tonight, Lord, our hearts are hungry. Come on, go ahead and say that with me. My heart is hungry. Come on, really say it like you mean it. My heart is hungry, God. And Lord, because our hearts are hungry, I thank You, Father, that You respond every time to a hungry heart, Lord. Lord, You move whenever there is need. And Lord, we're in great need of experiencing Your love tonight. And Father, I thank You for speaking to us so clearly tonight. Lord, I open myself up to be used by You. And Lord, help me to clearly articulate and present Your Word tonight exactly how You want to say it. Lord, help me to get out of the way so that You can communicate to Your people that You dearly love tonight. And Lord, I thank You for moving and changing our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in week one, we talked about being anchored in faith. Being anchored in faith. And we talked about how uh, all of us have an anchor of faith that have given our lives to Christ. Uh, but uh, our anchors can grow because faith isn't a destination that you ever arrive at. It's a journey to be lived out along the way. And God desires our faith to grow and desires for our faith to be anchored in Him. And last week we talked about anchored in hope. We talked about how hope isn't wishful thinking but rather an attitude of confidence that God will come through on His Word to us. We also talked about how no no matter how bad or hopeless our circumstances may seem in the natural, when we place and anchor our hope in God, we always will have hope. There is always hope even in the situation that may not seem like there is any hope. So tonight we're wrapping up the series uh, called Anchored and the title of tonight's message. Anybody want to guess it? Anchored in love. Anchored in love. Apparently the media team had the notes. Um, you know, before going into the ministry uh, a couple years ago, uh, I worked for a company called Windows Doors and more. And uh, we obviously sold windows, doors, 
and more. And, uh, you know, on a door, uh, no matter, typically, no matter how big the door is, or no matter how small the door is, typically, as a whole, uh, there's three hinges up on that door. And there's all kinds of different types of doors. There's regular little small interior doors that you have inside of your house. Uh, that you go through all the way up to there's there's giant iron doors. But no matter how nice or big or expensive a door is, if it doesn't have hinges, it's really worthless. It's not going to be able to operate or function in the realm and the area that it is intended or made to function. And the Bible gives us these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and these are our three hinges or our three anchors that you can have all sorts of things in your life, but if you don't have these three things, no matter how big or small your anchor may be, it won't be able to operate the way God intended it to operate. So in this series, it's not just another series because we don't have anything else to do. It's not just another series because we don't have anything else to say. It's rooted in the Word of God. And these three things will change your Christian life forever if you receive it and believe that these are three things that will last forever. There's a lot of things that the Bible talks about. But these three things, if we're anchored in it, we can weather the storms of life. And tonight I want to talk to you about really the most important anchor. If you don't have this, you don't have anything. And being anchored in love. Being anchored in love. So how the question is, how do we get anchored in love? And just so you can track along with me, I'm going to have two main points and then some sub points underneath. And I really want you to give me all your attention, everything you got for the next couple of minutes, because I believe that God can change our life. I believe I felt the power of God as I was preparing this message, that God was showing me some things about love that I've never experienced before. And so how do we get anchored in love? Number one, obviously, we receive love. Number one, we receive love. Now, that's kind of simple. And all, everything that I have to share with you is simple. Some people desire deep, and whenever they say deep, what they mean is confusing. I don't think that deep is confusing. I think deep is the simple application of the Word of God. You know, the, the Bible is actually very simple. Christianity is actually very simple. Salvation is actually very simple. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, confess with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. We like to add all these other things extra to it, but really it's your faith in Christ. It's that simple. Christianity is simple. And whenever you get and apply the simple application of the Word of God, that's truly what deep is because you're allowing it to be anchored inside of you. And so, how do we get anchored in love? We receive love. And I want to talk to you about what hinders us from receiving love. What hinders us from receiving love? The first thing that hinders us from receiving love is feeling like we have to earn God's love. It's feeling like we have to earn God's love. God's love for you is constant. In fact, 
God's love for you has never changed the moment that you have been on this earth. A lot of us think, well, now that I'm saved, God really loves me. God loved you just as much before you were in a relationship with Him as He does now. He cannot love you any more. He cannot love you any less because His love is as big as it possibly can get. It's completely full for you. It was completely full for you even before you desired to serve God. Even whenever you are serving God, but you don't measure up, which is all of us, He still loves you the same. His love is unconditional and you cannot earn God's love. If you come into the attitude of, and having uh, an attitude that I got to earn God's love, you will really get nowhere in your Christianity because you cannot be anchored in love if you feel like it's something that you have to earn. I think that a lot of us, the reason that we feel like we need to earn love, wouldn't you say a lot of us have that mindset? I know I've had that mindset of God, I, I'm so sorry, I'm so terrible. I've got to work a little bit harder so that maybe you would love me a little bit more. Because most people, it's just natural human tendency, most people's love is conditional. Key and I have a dog. His name is Cooper. He's a Chihuahua. And I will admit before you, my love for him is conditional. I love the dog. He's great whenever he's sweet, but whenever he uses the bathroom in the house... I feel that love in my heart dwindling for him. His, but that's not the picture of the Father. No matter what we do, He always loves us. And in reality, that's really not true. I really, you always, whenever you have a kid or something like that, you always come back to, you can be frustrated with them. Your pleasure can change, but really your love never changes. If you look at it from a human point, another human to a human, God, the same, in, the, in a, the most perfect way, his pleasure can change for us. He can be more or less pleased with us. That is, that is true. His love never changes. Why is this so important? Because you will never get anywhere in your Christian walk if you don't understand this. Because you will come to God just like my dog comes to me whenever he's used the bathroom in the house. He is so keen on it. Every time, like Cooper, he just comes... He, has, he's, he gets squats real low and begins to kind of tremble and get close to me. And then he rolls over and says, I'm so sorry, please. And that's how a lot of us are. That's our attitude to God. We do. We make a mistake. We sin. We do something and we come like, God, I'm so sorry. But in reality, the Bible says to come boldly before the throne because it's not your righteousness. It's not your goodness. It's his goodness of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it does what it produces in my life is it doesn't want to make me sin. If you get the essence and the truth of this, you can say, man, how can you preach on love? You're just going to get people to to say, man, I can do whatever I want. God loves me. My standing with Him will never change. Well, that's not true. When you get the message of love, it, does, it causes you to run and get closer to God than you've ever been before because you have the knowledge and the revelation that God's love for you never changes. And His love for you before his love for people, even before they're in a relationship with him, is never changing. People sometimes say, how can a loving God allow this to happen? Or how can a loving God allow someone to go to hell? It's really, that's, that's a to totally wrong mindset. 
The Bible says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. The truth is, God sends nobody to hell. People send themselves to that place because He made the availability to us to experience and receive love. Basically, but whenever God sent Jesus to die on the cross, He sent Him, you can just picture it as a ball He sent with Him of love and He put it in your court and you have the ability now to receive it or deny it. But it's not on God, it's on us. And as we experience and receive God's love and realize, I can never earn this, no matter how good I am, I could never earn the love of God. And whenever I realize He's not asking me to, He's not asking me to earn His love because I could never possibly earn it. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us whenever we got saved, right? Right? Is that what it says? No, my Bible says to die for us while we were still sinners. His, his love is unconditional. In fact, He sent His Son to die on the cross knowing that there would be people that would reject Him. But He has such a love that we really can't fully understand because we don't give out that same love. But even whenever you're in your deepest, darkest sin, God loved you the exact same amount as whenever you say, God, I want to enter into a relationship with you. Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 38. Uh, this is Paul speaking. He says, Now I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love God has revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, no matter how far you run. God's posture towards us is always with his arms open to receive us back to him. He's always desiring to, to give us and extend that love. So what hinders us from receiving love? Number one, we feel like we have to earn God's love. Number two, believing the lie that you are unlovable. Believing the lie that you are unlovable. So if the enemy can get you to try to earn God's love, and if that doesn't work, then he will try to convince you of the fact that you can't earn God's love, which is the truth. But then he will twist it by saying you are unlovable. You have gone too far or you just you just don't have what it takes to be loved. Can I tell you that there is no sinner on earth that is out of the reach of God's love? Not me, not you, not any person on this earth that you could think of that does the what you would consider the deepest, darkest, worst sins on earth. God's love is available for them and for us. In Luke chapter 7, verse 47, there's a story 
of, of, a, of a prostitute that comes before Jesus and she has a jar of perfume. You know this story. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard it. Uh, this perfume was not an ordinary perfume. This perfume was worth a year's wages. And she decided to go and to pour it at the feet of Jesus. Now, to that scripture, if you don't understand the context of what it's in, may not, you know, you might read over and be like, oh man, that, that's cool. But it, what the custom was, obviously, you know, the Middle East, it's still, you know, it's obviously more modernized now, but it's, was still, it still is and was much more sandy back then. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but in, in Bible days, there weren't um, cars. Uh, I, you, you, you may not be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, make sure you see your teachers because you're getting cheated in education. But anyway, side note. So in that day, it was custom whenever you entered into a, a person's home that they would have normally the servant would uh, would have some water and a towel and they would they would wash your feet or or, or at least you had the availability because they just had open toe sandals and and their feet would get quite dusty and, and dirty. So that was the custom in that time. But what this lady did was she took a bottle of perfume which was a year's wages. So about the average, imagine placing it in America, say this bottle of perfume was about $30,000 of our money and took it, poured it out. And she didn't, she didn't just use water. She used this perfume. She didn't just use a towel. She used her hair to dry it because she was in such awe of what Jesus, who Jesus was. The disciples got a little bit aggravated with it. Judas in particular, he said, man, that money could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said, hey, just leave her alone. Let her do this. And he explains to them why she's doing this in verse 47. He says, I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The Bible says, Jesus says that those that have been forgiven of much, love much. And there's not one person that is too far from the reach of God. Not you, not any other person. And I came across a message a while back. and I've been wanting to show you a clip of it. It's, it's talking about the, God's love for people. And I just felt like he did such a great job of articulating it. I want to show you the clip and then I'll come back up and finish up. But we're going to go ahead and show that clip and then I'll come. It, but it, it didn't take long um, before my passion for the gospel and, and my passion to see lost men and women saved um, s- started to rub against or collide with the church. And, and so it wasn't very long. And, and I, I won't, I, I can give you dozens and dozens of stories, but, but really one that kind of broke the camel's back where I decided if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to do it as a churchman because the church more often than not was an enemy of conversion and not its friend. I'll give you an example. Um, this turn in me, this break in me happened that God has been just disciplining me on ever since. Uh, occurred my freshman year of college when 
um, I randomly sat next to a, I'm a freshman in college, I'm sitting next to a 26-year-old single mother who's coming back to school to try to get a degree, never been to church, didn't know much about Jesus, didn't know, and so we began this ongoing dialogue uh, about the grace and mercy of Christ in the cross. And so um, me and some of my crew go over to her house and babysit her daughter. She's actually in an extramarital affair at the time with a married man. And and so we talked through that, the wisdom in that. Um, This is the relationship we had, just kind of serving her and trying to explain to her spiritual things. A friend of mine was playing at a church in the area, and, and so I asked her to come. He was a musician, and, and so I said, hey, a good friend of mine's in a band. He's playing. Um, what, why, don't you come, why don't you come hear him? And, and so she agreed. She thought it would be a concert. I knew better. It was shady. It was excellent. And um, she came with me, and, and we listened to Robbie play, and, and he was tremendous, just a real anointed guy. And then the, the minister got up and he said, today I want to talk to you about sex. And so I immediately go, uh-oh, this could be a problem. And, and he took a red rose and he smelled it and he showed how pretty it was and then he threw it out into the crowd. He goes, everybody needs to smell this. There's about a thousand of us there, almost all of us college and high school. Smell the rose. I want you to smell it. I want you to touch it. I want you to see the texture in it. Do it, do it, and I'm going to teach. And, and then he began what honestly, up until this day, and this might have to do with my heart, I don't, I'm still wrestling, um, was one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and what it isn't that I ever sat through. It, it was fear-mongering at, the, at its best. It was, um, you don't want syphilis, do you? And everybody's smiling and having a good time until there's herpes on your lip, and you, right? And so I'm just thinking with Kim beside me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and then as it wraps up, he goes, where's my, where's my rose? Where, where, where is it? Where's, where's my rose? And, you know, some kid came up. The rose is just completely jacked up. It's broken. The things are off. The petals are broken. And, and he lifts it up in his big crescendo. I mean, his point is to hold up that rose and go, now who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling anger, like real, legitimate, I want to hurt him anger, and it was all I could do not to scream out, Jesus wants the rose! That's the point of the gospel, that Jesus wants the rose, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ won, you're not even teaching the basics of our faith. showed you that for two reasons. One, to show you that no matter how far you ever go, God's love for you never changes. The second reason I showed you that is so that you would get the heart and the attitude of God that Jesus truly loves and wants the rose. He wants the worst, what we consider the worst of the worst He wants what we consider the best, the best, because he wants to show his love to us and through us. We can never earn the love of God. We can never earn the love of God. And whenever we get, maybe we don't buy into that lie, but maybe you buy in the lie that you're unlovable. Or maybe you come across, maybe somebody in your school, maybe somebody you sit next to, feels like they're unlovable. Maybe they're at a place where they're unreachable. 
And you know, it's amazing. It's not necessarily people that are in deep sin that feel that. I've talked with some, some kids that you would consider, man, these are just good church kids, but they feel unlovable. They feel like God can't love them. Maybe you feel like God can't love you. Maybe you don't say that, but your subconscious says that and feels that. I want you to know that you are lovable. This isn't just some type of hype up speech. This is the truth and the word of God that you are lovable. So what hinders us from receiving God's love? Feeling like we have to earn God's love, number one. Number two, believing the lie that you are unlovable. Number three, the fear of love. The fear of love. By the way, if you were thinking, and I didn't purposely wear a sweater because he was wearing a sweater. I just realized, like, man, I'm wearing a sweater. Anyway, the mind of an ADD person. (laughs) Thanks for that, JP. What hinders us from receiving love, number three, fear of love. What do I mean by that fear of love? Some of us are afraid of God. Really? Yeah. Some of us are afraid of God. Let me explain something. The fear of the Lord is not the afraid of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a reverent honor and respect of the Lord. But there's no reason to be afraid of God. I'm not going to read the whole Scripture, but in 1 John chapter 4, in your own personal time, I encourage you to go and read this. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to pick up in, in verse 18. It says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. A person that's afraid of God has not yet experienced the full, perfect love of God. Let me ask you a rhetorical question tonight. Have you experienced the full, perfect love of God? Because let me tell you, whenever you have, it changes everything. I've shared with you my testimony of how I got saved and the reason that I got saved was for fear of hell, which is a, you know, a valid reason to get saved. What's kept me saved is the love of God. What's kept me walking with God is the love of God. And I can tell you that this thing grows. At this point in my life, I've been saved for a little while now, And I have a greater understanding of the love of God more than ever. The reason that I have a greater understanding of the love of God is because I realize that I don't deserve it more than ever in my life. In the moments that I totally feel like God, go ahead, get the lightning bolt. It's I deserve this. You know, go ahead. He shows me his perfect love that no, I'm I'm merciful. I'm gracious. In fact, the moment that you come and ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you because I'm faithful and just. And even whenever you're not faithful to me, I'm faithful to you. And you don't have to be afraid of God. The Bible says that you can come boldly to His throne. 
Not arrogantly. It's not, I can just do whatever I want and I'll just repent for it later. It's boldly because I know and have an understanding of where I stand in the love of God. You can never earn the love of God. That's what hinders you from receiving the love of God. You could never, ever, ever receive the love of God if you believe the lie that you're unlovable. I can tell you tonight that you are lovable and the person that you think is the most rotten sinner on earth is lovable and worth, is, not, is not worthy of receiving God's love, but yet He did it to, for us anyway. And what hinders us, the third thing that hinders us from receiving God's love is a fear of love. Another word for that is a fear of God or being afraid of God. Okay, so once you receive the love of God, how do you get anchored in the love of God? You, obviously, you've got to receive the love of God. Now, what do you do from there? Okay, you've experienced the full love of God. Now, what do you do? You reciprocate the love of God. Number one, receive love. Number two, reciprocate love. What this is, is you're getting full, and out of the fullness of love that God is depositing into your life, you then release that love and reciprocate it to others. So who do you reciprocate love to? And we're, we're coming to a close. Who do you reciprocate love to? Number one, God. Number one, God. God gives you love. You receive the love from God. And then what do you do with that love? The first thing that you do with it is you give it back to God. It's like He is, he is the source. Okay, you know, like if you have a pitcher, you know, I'm not talking about baseball, like, that's where a few guys went immediately like, yeah, a pitcher in MLB? No. I'm talking about a pitcher, like, you know, that a container. That container is not the source. In fact, once that is empty, it's done. The only use that it has is to get filled up again. The source would be considered uh, maybe a faucet at your home that you fill up. That's the source that comes in. So we're the pitcher. God's the source. He then fills us up. And what do we do? We just pour it right back to Him. I reciprocate the love that I receive back to God. Jesus said, it was talking to a, a, a religious teacher in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking Him this question. Jesus, what, our teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responded, right. Do this and you'll live. Okay, so reciprocate the love of God back to God. Okay, yeah, that's simple. I understand that. How do you do that? Well, you can understand it. The teacher of religious law here, or the Pharisee, understood it. But Jesus said, now go do this and you'll live. Most of us have understanding, but we don't do it. We don't apply it. How do you reciprocate the love of God back to, back to God? He says, love Him with all your heart. Give Him everything that's in Him. One of the ways that you express love 
for God is through your worship for God. And there are many different aspects of worship. And in a few months, we're going to do a series on worship. One of the ways is in a setting like this. How do you walk in here on a Wednesday night? Is it just music? Is it just, man, Josh is awesome at the guitar and I'm just here to observe him? Micah's a phenomenal singer. Jeremy's an amazing drummer. Jared's a phenomenal bass player. we got a great band. Is it just a band? Or is it, I want to enter into the presence of God. I don't care, even though I do care about the person next to me. Right now, I just care about God. And I will reciprocate my love that I'm receiving for God back to God. Do you give your best to God in worship? Do you? Do you give all you have with an attitude of expectancy of God? You died on the cross for me. I live in America where I have the freedom of religion and I can come to a place that is unbelievably hot right now, but at least it's not that cold outside and worship you. Do you have that attitude towards God? And don't feel condemned if you do. I don't always just come into every single worship setting and I'm just ready to just enter into the presence of God. Sometimes it takes me a couple songs. I'm going to be honest. But it's just where my heart is sometimes. Do you come and give God all your heart in worship? And worship's beyond just this setting. Worship is anything that you do for God in service to Him. Do you give Him all of your soul, all of your emotions, everything that's within you? Do you say, I love you, God? Do you give everything, all of your strength, that's like you're, that's talking about your body. Do you give your body? Do you present your body before God? Of God, you've given me love, so I reciprocate it back to you with my strength, with my body. Do you give your love back to God with all of your mind? The Bible says, "Think upon things." Were you here Sunday? Pastor Todd did an amazing job on speaking on the mind. If you weren't here, go to the website and listen to the message. It was phenomenal. But as a man thinks, so he is. What do you think? Do you ever think about God? And don't take this in a condemning way. You might say, I never think about God until I'm here. Think about God. Sometimes, just before you go to sleep, just think about Him. God, you're so amazing. You're so incredible that you love me and you're filling me up with your love. So I receive love, number one. Number two, I reciprocate love. How do I how or who do I reciprocate love to? Number one, God. Number two, I'm sure you can guess this, people. God, people. No, that's not deep. That's that's not confusing. That's too simple. That is deep. God, people. I receive the love for God, then I reciprocate it back to God, and as naturally it goes to other people. You know, Jesus just said, He said, you know, what do you do? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I try to do a, a little exercise. It's really, really hard. It's really fun, though, if you would want to do this, too. Whenever you go to say something or do something to another person, imagine that other person is you. Because most of us, we love us some me, right? 
Is that right? I mean, I can, I can love me some me. You ever saw Terrell Owens? He said, I love me some me. It's the inner selfishness of us. And sometimes we forget, oh yeah, that's a person too. <laughs> like they have feelings and emotions. They, they, wait, they're like, they're like me. <laughs> like they're actually alive and, and breathe and stuff like that. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever I receive love, I reciprocate love. I reciprocate it to God. I reciprocate it to people. And people is people. Not just, oh, I, I, I do it in infusion. You know, I, I, like, no, I do it for saved people that are cool. Like, no, I, I do it for people because God loves people with all of His heart. And sometimes we don't understand this. Sometimes I don't live this out. But it's where we're going together. It's our striving together. It's where we're going. We've got to be anchored in love. We receive love. We reciprocate love. To God and to people. I'm going to close with this scripture. First John chapter four verse nineteen says, "We love each other because He first loved us." If someone says, "I love God," but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And if He and He has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Let me share something with you as we close. Uh, several years back, we had a, an internship program here that I participated in and did two years as a student and then third year helping lead the program. And first two years were amazing. Second, third year was kind of challenging. Um, I don't know if you know or not, your ministry is actually perfect without people. The only problem is without people, there is no ministry. So I remember I was in the shower one time and I had some people that I was over. And I was just so dang frustrated with them. And I was in the shower where God speaks to me often. And, um, and I was praying, and I was actually worshiping God, saying how much I love God. God, I love you so much. Um, and I didn't say it, but I thought it. I said, God, in, my, in my mind, I said, actually, God, I love you so much. And in my mind, I didn't let it come out, but it was in, in my heart. But man, I hate your people. And then all of a sudden, instantly in my heart, that scripture came up. If, if you do not love others whom you can see, the love of God is not in you. You can't say, God, I love you, but everyone else, not so much. Can't happen. You don't get saved and go on an island and just you and God. That doesn't happen. You still have to function and live in society. I'm sorry, I may have broken some of your hearts, but that's just the reality of things. And I remember the Lord just began to deal with me. And at the same time that that scripture came in, uh, I, I remember a quote that I heard from Roy Stockstill, who started Bethany, whenever his son, Pastor Larry Stockstill, was taking it over. He said, Dad, um, what advice can you give me? I mean, he was in ministry for years. And the one thing that he gave him, he said, Son, people are not your enemy. People are not your enemy. 
Every person is operated by a spirit behind it. Either it's the spirit of God or the spirit of the enemy. But people are not your enemy. I want you to understand tonight, some of you are at two different places. Some of you need to receive the love of God. Just like that scripture said that when you fear, if you're operating in fear, like I'm afraid of God, you haven't really fully experienced the love of God. Some of you need to experience the love of God. Some of you have experienced the love of God and your pitcher is full, but whenever something is full and it just sits there, it gets stagnant and gross. And you know what? It has to be fresh. You have to constantly receive the love of God and reciprocate the love of God to God and people. So some of you need to receive the love of God. Some of you need to come to a place where I'm ready to give out the love of God. I want to pray for you as we close tonight. Nobody looking around. Everybody closing their eyes just to create just a private moment between you and God. Father, I pray for every single person in this place hearing my voice, every student, every adult, every leader, everyone in here, myself included. God, we need to receive your love. I don't want, we all need to experience the love of God. I want you to do this if you have the ability. Just lift up your hands to the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, come. No, really say it. Say, Holy Spirit, come. I'm going to say it again. Holy Spirit, come. I desire to feel your love. Fill me with your perfect love. I desire to experience your love. Father, I pray for every single person that has their hands lifted up right now. Lord, I pray that your love would just sweep across this place right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for just filling those that need love right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for filling us up to the very top. The love of God touching lives right now. Come on, don't be distracted. Don't worry about what's going to happen afterwards. Just experience the love of God right now across this place. Thank you, Father, for filling those that are in need of love all the way to the top. For those that have experienced your love, I thank you, Father, for filling us afresh right now in the name of Jesus, the love of God, touching hearts, touching lives right now in Jesus' name. Father, as we are receiving this love, I pray that this love would compel us to do something about it, to reach out to people, to extend love to others that need it so desperately help us to constantly walk and live in love in jesus name thank you father for moving in our lives right now in jesus name we pray amen again thanks for joining us for more info on fusion you can check us out on youtube facebook or instagram Thank you.